This is episode 47 of the Sunday Morning Manga for Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Welcome to Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube at Derek S. McGrath. A recording is available Sunday afternoons on YouTube. You can also listen to an audio-only version wherever you get your podcasts. You can find a transcript and links from today's episode at DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Contributions are appreciated at coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath. Get early access to my audio commentaries for new episodes of Bungo Stray Dogs Season 5 at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. Purchases from my Amazon wishlist are also appreciated. You can email me, Derek.S.McGrath at gmail.com. Every Sunday, there is a live reaction to a newly released manga chapter. It's been a long time since I last discussed Spy Family, so let's look at its newest release today, Chapter 85. Spy Family is written and illustrated by Katsua Endo, English translation by Casey Lowe, and lettering by Rina Mappa. Spy Family is licensed by Viz. You can read the manga at viz.com. And let's start with controversy. I have not been enjoying Spy Family as much as I used to. I can't say that anything has gotten worse in the series in terms of artwork or sticking to the core identities of characters. Maybe the progression has been lacking, which I'll get to in a bit. I do think a lot of the problem is what I'm bringing in expectations to the series and what I have found tiresome. I think there are only so many times you can have Twilight fall on his face and look foolish before you start asking how he can be this amazing spy, which is me completely ignoring the point that since his introduction, Twilight has shown in two major ways that he is not that good at espionage. The first being his inability to keep up a front as when he got that message in chapter one to get a wife and child, and the second being his inability to be flexible and unsuspicious. Again, going back to chapter one, when he immediately breaks up with his girlfriend now that his mission is over, without any finesse to not look suspicious. I also worry I'm acting like a hipster or a pseudo-intellectual by having criticisms about the series as it gets more and more popular. The tie-in to the recent Mission Impossible movie, a crossover with Street Fighter, and so on. I can't base a dislike for a series on its popularity or its failures to satisfy my very unique set of expectations. It is fair to criticize it for failing to keep providing something new, but I can't weigh that as more important than how the series stays consistently good. So, 
let's discuss those few parts where the series has not stayed consistently good for me. Spy Family has a lot to juggle, and a lot of that worked to its initial advantage to appeal to such a wide audience. It has a wide range of genres, action, comedy, family sitcom, little kids, slice of life, romance, drama, that also means a lot of characters needed. Heroes, villains, comic relief, parents, children, teachers, love rivals. This is part of what has been difficult for the series and led to one major complaint I used to encounter more frequently about the series, but whether due to Spy Family getting better at addressing that problem, or because I just stopped looking for those complaints, I don't find any more. That complaint has been, with so many characters, how the series loses track of its plots. We can itemize these plots if we stick to four main characters. Twilight, Yor, Anya, and Damien. Twilight's plot has been to stop Damien's dad, Donovan, from starting a war. This plot had fallen away from the story for some time, until Damien's father finally made an in-person appearance. Then, in a brilliant move, the series got this plot to involve the other characters. Anya's involvement is already obvious. She is how Twilight has been trying to get close to Damien's father. But you're just happening to run into Melinda, Damien's mother, now has pulled her into the story. As has the recent bus hostage arc when Damien's mother reunited with her son. I do think it's a little too convenient that Yor just happens to run into Melinda, but I can also suspend that concern until I see where the story goes next. Given Melinda's own political ambitions and conflicted regard for her son, that is yet another plot that is probably going to be on the back burner. Unless this current arc has some big surprise in store and it's really the Desmond family pulling strings to get the intelligence that Twilight and Yuri are fighting for. But we'll see. I think all of what I just said also summarizes well the part that Damien plays in the story. But that's not entirely fair. The manga has done a good job of giving him his own character progression that is separate from that of Anya and her family. If there is any weakness, it is a lot of having to hear about it through Damien's thoughts. Not the worst strategy, seeing as Anya can read minds, so we have a narrative tool to bring his thoughts to the readers more easily. But at least it is a plot that makes Damien more than that annoying kid who has a crush on Anya, but at least it is a plot that makes Damien more than that annoying kid who has a crush on Anya because she stood up to him. It's own set of potentially toxic narrative tropes that we're going to sidestep based on the far better quality of just about everything else in the series. That then leaves the plots for Anya and Yor, beyond how they interact with those of Twilight and Damien. I'm really trying not to make this sound like an argument that the series is doing a disservice to its girl and women characters. We're going to get to that with another manga or two later this year. I will have some criticisms for how your story is handled, and no, your learning how to cook or wanting to be a better wife and mother are not at all problems. I mean, the manga cliche of a woman who doesn't know how to cook can get annoying. At least with your, 
that is a detail that they keep pointing to and showing how she's improving at cooking and how that ties into her inexperiences despite how well she raised Yuri or how poorly she raised him given look how Yuri turned out. Even as my criticism will be focused on how I think the story is trying to make needless drama for Yor and Twilight that feels cliche, it's not sexist exactly, but it's definitely falling flat at trying to make fun of sexist writing in stories about married couples. I remember criticism that the series wasn't giving Yor much to do. I think the anime will solve this problem when it adapts the cruise ship arc, given that it gives Twilight more to do comedically and lets Yor take an active role and remind us that she is the best assassin there is. It helps that it's an arc to remind us that Wise is not the only player in this war and reminds us to keep an eye on what the Ostanian government is up to and Yor's role as one of their agents. I haven't mentioned Anya here as much, if only because she is already so pivotal to enough of these stories that it's hard to say anything more. She is Twilight's tool to get into the school, but she is also the inspiration for Twilight and Yor to be better parents. Her lack of involvement in Damien's one-sided crush on her allows her to have her own stories. Heck, she has better chemistry with Becky than Damien, making enough of us cringe imagining her having to sell for this jerk boy over the less of a jerk girl in a desire to keep this heteronormative. I do remember complaints that Anya's school life stories were getting in the way of the spy details of what Twilight and Yor are up to. I can't say that's unfair criticism, Although, I think more recent arcs had done a better job at pulling away from Anya's school shenanigans and her slow progress to earn Stella marks to instead bring back some action. Still, some of those action stories have felt a bit forced. It just happens that Anya wants a pet dog just in time for a terrorist reign to use dogs as suicide bombers. It just happens that terrorists target Eden Academy while Anya and her classmates are on a bus. It seems a little too convenient. On the other hand, it's not like any of this is too coincidental. In the case of the dogs, it works thematically and is done by working backwards after having the goal of bringing Bond into the family. In the case of holding the bus hostage, of course we were going to get a story with someone holding students from Eden Academy hostage. It has been foreshadowed since the beginning when Anya was told by the dressmaker that the students at that school are frequently targeted for kidnappings. This is probably not the last time we're going to see students, teachers, or the school itself attacked. I don't Envy series creator Tatsuya Endo trying to keep progression moving on so many stories centered around Twilight, Yor, Anya, and Damien. If anything, I think the creator does an excellent job at progressing any of these stories because they figured out how to keep the cast limited. It's not that there aren't a ton of characters, but rather than adding more and more characters until a creator has to delay getting back to certain characters until later, or fails to realize how popular a side character is with the audience, and now has to incorporate that character into the story due to the insistence of readers and editors, 
thereby derailing the story they had already planned, Endo hasn't really had that problem. To Endo's credit, any characters that I haven't mentioned here can easily be progressed in their own stories because of their association with one of those four main characters. For example, let's say you want a story about Nightfall or Frankie or Sherwood. That's already a Twilight story, so just write a story with Twilight and you're able to progress one of those three characters. Let's say you want a story about Yuri and God Why Would You, or a story about the shopkeeper. That's a your story. You want something about Damien's two sidekicks? Well, obviously that's a Damien story. Anything about Anya and Damien's school will bring in one or both characters, along with Becky and other classmates and teachers. Keeping the main characters to just these four turns this into a game of six degrees of separation. Everything can connect back to just one or two of these main characters, avoiding complicated messy writing where Endo would then have to struggle to write something and then forcing themselves to figure out how a character can fit into a story if they haven't already defined how that character gets along with one of the four main characters. In other words, a Sherwood story only has to worry about how the story speaks to Twilight, not how it speaks to your Anya, or Damien, but that's not to ignore that it has been fun to see the few moments Sherwood has interacted with Yor and Anya, and how much I look forward to how Sherwood's characterization will be complicated once Twilight's loyalty to her runs into conflict with his loyalties to Yor and Anya. So that takes care of the manga, how it works well without the Herculean task of trying to juggle so many genres, characters, and plots. I just wish the anime had it as easy. I was even so arrogant and desperate that I made sure to put out a blog post about why you should be reading Spy Family to get that online before, as was rumored and turned out to be confirmed, a Spy Family anime was announced. I stand by most of what I wrote in the blog post as to why the comic itself is good, but I'm not going to lie that the current arc that we're going through has soured me on the comic a little bit, and the anime didn't rise up to the way too high expectations I put onto it. Let's start with what I wasn't enjoying in the anime before recapping recent chapters of the manga, and why I think those chapters haven't been working for me. The anime just hasn't worked for me. This isn't to say that the animation in itself is bad. I do have my criticisms, which I'll get to in a moment, but there is a difference between if I said the animation is bad, and if I said, and which I more strongly believe, I personally prefer the comic version because there are more opportunities for the illustrator to stop and freeze on a pivotal moment in one panel to reinforce some laugh or some shock or the importance of an action, or to break down an action into individual images that make the follow-through of that action easier to follow. This is equivalent of just saying, maybe I'm enjoying comic books as an art form more than animation, and that's on me and shouldn't take away from the quality of the animation, even if it's not as much fun for me watching that as it is for me reading a comic. Maybe I've changed as I've gotten older. 
And I don't mean that as a animation is for kids thing, because no, it isn't. I don't think my taste had matured. I just think comics are different, and I'm enjoying the structure of them more. Or, maybe for me, following animation has been more difficult, and I prefer breaking down a scene into still images for greater appreciation. Which is fine for a comic, but in animation, that doesn't always work. I can't stand the argument that every frame is a painting as an expectation for animation and motion pictures. That's not the point. Every frame is not a painting. The point is making the motion look good, making the animation look good. Sometimes that means one still frame doesn't look good because that still frame was needed in order to create that one tiny portion of time of a movement to get to the next movement. What do I mean by all of this? A few months ago, I wrote a blog post about the first few episodes of Spy Family, and then I never wrote another post about any of the subsequent episodes. I did watch more of the anime, but I just wasn't appreciating the animation as much as I wanted to. And I still can't shake how much more I'm enjoying the comic more than the anime. Maybe that's nostalgia, or a bias where I tend to prefer my very first engagement with the story, as opposed to the subsequent versions of that same story. After all, when I watch the anime, when it does content that is wholly original, I tend to enjoy it more. Episode 5 is almost entirely an original story. It is adapted from Chapter 6, the one where Anya gets enrolled into Eden Academy, so... Twilight lets her celebrate by renting an entire castle to have a game of Spy versus Assassin. It's not just that the anime lets us see your in action against Twilight, it's also that we get to see what Wit Studio accomplished in this episode. It includes new moments. Some are pretty minor, but they help build this world and its characters. I love that we get a bit more personality to know some of the nameless spies in Twilight's agency and why they see him as such an expert in his work. But it's also the big scenes in this episode that build upon what was already in the comic, but add something new to the story. If this episode had stuck so closely to the comic, it would have been boring. That's not an insult to the comic. That comic was creating scenes that worked for what that story needed and did not need to go any further to get the action and comedy it needed. It's a series of still panels that contribute to how you imagine an action unfolding. That wouldn't have worked as well in animation. When you have animation and now you can move the camera across more set pieces, based on the story you have in front of you, of course now you need to have Twilight in an obstacle course through the castle, on a zip line heading up to the sky, to add more color, more bounce, more action. Maybe I'm saying all of this to dispel any claim that I'm just hating on the anime, and yes, there are other anime-only moments that I didn't like as much, the dodgeball episode being a major letdown, a thin story that didn't need that much padding when the padding itself didn't really enhance the joke for me, and whose animation spectacles were just that, spectacles that are colorful and eye-catching, but empty. But that castle episode? 
that is probably the best that has come out of the Spy Family anime so far. Maybe the upcoming theatrical film will top this with an original story and a more cinematic approach. Maybe there will be an arc later in the manga that the anime just nails. Maybe something from the cruise ship arc coming up. But for now, I'd rather stick to the comic. And speaking of that comic, let's recap it. The last time I talked about Spy Family on Sunday Morning Manga was episode 9 on September 18, 2022. That was a long time ago. It was a discussion about chapter 68, and there is no way I'm going to summarize everything from chapter 68 to 84 before we get to today's chapter, chapter 85. Instead, let's just look at pivotal details related to today's chapter, and those details necessitate a recap of chapters 77 to 84. Let me bullet point those chapters, or else today's episode is going to go on for three hours. Chapter 77, after surviving the bus hostage situation, Anya's teacher, Thomas Austin, sees Lloyd for therapy about his marriage problems. Twilight becomes bothered about how difficult a real marriage can be. Chapter 78, a day in the life of Twilight's handler Sherwood before her dog and Anya's dog have a contest. Chapter 78.1, Damien's friend Ewan bonds with Anya over the space race. Chapter 79 and 80, Yor's co-workers take her out for drinks, realizing how difficult marriages are, like how Twilight did back in Chapter 77, Yor decides that her marriage with Lloyd needs more drama. We're going to get to why I'm really not liking that plot in a moment. Also in Chapter 80, there is a mole inside of Wise. His name is Wheeler. Now Twilight and Nightfall had to capture him before he leaks information about Twilight's mission at Eden Academy to the Astanian government. Chapter 81, after Yuri has fed lies to Yor that Lloyd must be cheating on her, he now also is called in to pursue Wheeler to get those secrets about Twilight. The chapter ends with Wheeler apparently meeting with the Astanian government, but in Chapter 82, we learn the Asanian government realizes this isn't Wheeler, it's actually Twilight. Twilight evades capture and changes into a disguise as Yuri. Too bad Yuri follows Twilight into the sewers. Both men face each other and fire guns at each other. We cut away to Yor in the apartment, breaking one of Lloyd's dishes and cutting herself. Chapter 83, Twilight managed to shoot the gun out of Yuri's hand, but got himself shot in the shoulder because he hesitated to shoot at Yor's brother. Yuri is surprisingly adept at fighting, possibly due to Yor's tough love growing up. Meanwhile, Wise has not been able to locate Wheeler until Nightfall spots him. Chapter 84, Wheeler manages to escape into the sewer where he manages to sneak up on the injured Twilight. Nightfall finds Wheeler has knocked Twilight to the ground, then something happens with Nightfall. Even with those bullet points, this is still a lot to recap. Let's do our best to talk about all of this before going into today's chapter. I do appreciate that this mission has its stakes in place. If Wheeler gets this information to the Asanian government, Twilight's identity as Lloyd is over. And therefore, so would be his marriage to Yor and Anya's life. It's there. Those stakes are there. 
I just wish it was more foregrounded. A few more moments during this arc of Twilight fighting to protect his married life that he has created would be appreciated, even if he's not realizing during the fight that he's doing this to protect his family, that he's going out of his way not only to protect himself and protect Wise and protect his country, but to protect this make-believe life that now has become his real life. I kind of wish that was emphasized more in this arc. I'm still disappointed that Twilight is this bad at spying. Don't get me wrong, it's not like I would be good at any of this, so... Backseat spy advising. Some of this works. Of course Twilight has grown accustomed to Yore that he doesn't want to kill Yuri. But this is the Edgar Allan Poe mystery approach, where you start with an answer and then work backwards to come up with the question in order to motivate your plot. It's the problem I have been having with certain ongoing manga right now that think this is the end result I want to reach to, and then as a creator, they make arbitrary choices that don't make sense for the characters, don't follow pre-established information we have, just for the sake of reaching this conclusion they want, and two of those ongoing manga I have in mind that are causing this problem with me are My Hero Academia and Bungo Stray Dogs. Spoiler, if you haven't read the new My Hero Academia chapter, um, pause this and go read the newest one. I'm not feeling anything for Toga saving Ochako, at the potential risk of her own life. Not out of a failure to sympathize, but because it was Toga that stabbed Ochako to begin with. I don't ignore how that creates a sense of beauty that the same person who stabbed her is the one who's saving her. But it's also, yeah, you kind of started the problem to begin with, and now you're correcting your own problem. It's not as satisfying for me, especially if you're trying to shift these two characters, then it becomes, oh, the one who just stabbed the other one is now in a relationship with that one. Ugh. We're going to talk about Toga and Oshako later this year, but this story arc, if you're trying to shift these two, it needed at least two more beats to make this work better. I mean, heck, Atushi and Okutagawa and Bungo Stray Dogs have a better relationship to ship together, and one has tried to kill the other repeatedly. But speaking of Bungo Stray Dogs, I also don't feel anything with recent developments when it comes to how Sigma was previously defined as being so smart, and then in the latest chapters, just became a fool and was a fool enough to approach Fyodor to take the knife from him, not expecting Fyodor to stab him, and then, oh no, Fyodor stabbed him as anyone could have expected. It's a series creator wanting a conclusion. Toga will save Ochako. Okay, we'll just have Toga stab Ochako in order to make that happen. We need to have Sigma get defeated, so in order to do that, we'll just have Sigma make a really silly mistake that Sigma, based on what we know about them, wouldn't have made. It doesn't work, and it's the same problem I'm having with how Spy Family handles Twilight. You need to have Twilight get defeated, and to do that, we will do it by a thousand cuts. He doesn't trick the Austanian government, he can't shoot at Yuri, he gets shot, he gets blindsided by Wheeler, and now he's down for the counts. I know that making Twilight into a Superman character 
would not help. A character who doesn't lose a fight gets boring unless you know how to play it up for comedy or for stakes. As a better example for how you could do that, it would be a series like Mashal, which we are going to discuss next weekend, so we'll get to that. Weirdly, what I'm feeling about this arc in Spy Family is how I feel about stories that need one character defeated for the sake of advancing the characterization of another. It gets worrisome that you need to have Bakugo nearly get killed in order to advance Izuku's story. You need to have Toga potentially die to, I have no idea why, potentially perpetuate Horikoshi's fixation on fridging girls, women, and LGBTQ plus characters. I mean, yeah, I get how that's going to propel Ochako's story, but I think we kind of propelled it as far as it can go before this just becomes grim and depressing. We have a similar situation that with Spy Family, if the genders were different, it would also come across as a fridging. We're having Twilight get harmed in order to advance Nightfall's story, and we'll get to that in a moment. I'm not sure how far I can go with that kind of an argument. I specialize in masculinity and gender studies, I used to write a lot about the work of Josh Whedon, and look how well his life turned out to be. I'm not sure I want to read Twilight as a character in a way that, as one of my mentors, Elizabeth Abelay, referred to it as a post-feminism masculinity. This conception of the action hero man made more complicated by letting him have soft emotions, letting him lose, having him be a John McClane character, where the point is not John McClane in later diehard movies, where he's just the typical action hero. John McClane in the very first diehard, where he's torn up, beaten up, not exactly competent, and rough and bad at what he does, but manages to save the day despite himself. My point is, I have wanted so much more done with Nightfall for so long, and we will talk about her at the end of this recap. And we are trying to do more with Nightfall now by having her rescue Twilight. It is now Twilight who has to be a victim for Nightfall's characterization to progress, and I'm not sure I like that approach. I am still so stubborn in thinking that the series has made Twilight so pathetic in a bad way. I think the first time I really got annoyed by it was when he passed out when Anya got that demerit at school. Granted, that again was Endo working backwards. As the series creator, they wanted a flashback arc about Twilight's childhood, and to make that happen, we're going to just have to have Twilight get so overwhelmed by Anya's demerit that he passes out and dreams of his childhood, except this is a master spy. He shouldn't have passed out based on this news. And yeah, I can already hear you in the audience yelling at me, and yes, I agree with you, I am wrong on this. I can't complain about Twilight passing out when he already passed out in the very first chapter of the manga, when he felt that relief that Anya passed her entrance test. This is precedence. This is nothing new. It's just a reversal. 
The first time he passed out was because of elation and being able to relax. The second time was because he couldn't handle the stress anymore. Both times had to do with the first time Anya being successful, the second time Anya failing. It's just that this all feels like it's retreading the same ground where we keep talking up Twilight as his perfect spy when it is obvious he has his flaws and is kind of bad at this. In that same regard, with me being this upset about Twilight losing, I'm a little disappointed we had Twilight and Yuri so evenly matched in their fights. That's not much of a criticism. I acknowledge that a lot of why I don't like it is because I just don't like Yuri. I'd be happier to see him get his ass kicked earlier than this. But this is a story that is making its characters competent enough when they need to be, and it would stretch believability if Yuri didn't have some skills available to make us believe why he has been able to ascend within the Asanian government. While we're talking about things I didn't like, I haven't liked the pointless drama around Twilight and Yor. Maybe this is just set up for payoff down the road, or even at the end of this current arc. After all, we expect Twilight and Yor will end up in conflict with each other, before or after they learn they are on opposite sides of this war. Will Yor figure out Twilight is with Wise once she pieces together that Yuri got injured fighting Twilight? I know that sounds like a big ask, given that the manga, I think to its detriment, has made Yor a little too naive. Granted, it's not like Twilight is any different. That's why this relationship and the comedy works. They are both successful, accomplished, skilled people who just happen to have flaws and social deficiencies that mirror each other. That's why the gag worked way back on their first date at the dinner party by Yor's co-worker, where Twilight isn't at all surprised that Yor caught the tray with her leg. He had zero complaints about her putting in that kind of an effort. If anything, he was impressed with it. But he wasn't surprised because he has seen those skills every day on the job. If he had any criticism, it's that she used a foot to catch the plates, which he thought was insanitary, an excellent cap-off on this well-executed gag that breaks the tension of yours moment of awesomeness with the most mundane complaints. It had the two characters seeming like they were on equal footing and were made for each other because they're both such oblivious characters despite how well-skilled and intelligent they are. It's for the same reason why having Twilight and Yor enter into this pointless drama is so pointless. I appreciate that writing this arc, Endo seems to be admitting that this is indeed all empty. That's the point. That's the joke. I just don't find it funny. Maybe it won't be funny. Maybe it's going to be bittersweet when the arc begins with your thinking, let's have a fake argument, and then it turns out this is going to end with a real argument and we're not laughing anymore. The gag should work. It should be like a version of the argument sketch from Monty Python, only without the awkwardness of now realizing John Cleese has become a crotchety old fart who sounds like a anti-trans sack of shit. But what can you do about an old fart who's acting like an anti-trans sack of shit? I 
I'm getting tired of being negative. Let's wrap this up with what I'm looking forward to. If there is anything I'm looking forward to in today's chapter, it's to see what happens with Nightfall. I'm not sure it's a good thing that Nightfall is a character I really enjoy in this story. Because there is enough about her that I think could perpetuate bad writing and bad tropes. I mean, she is obsessed with Twilight. That joke gets really stale. You can end up making her just a Klingon to Twilight instead of her own character. Nothing is stopping Endo from adding more to Nightfall. After all, there is, I guess the word would be irony, to the fact that Nightfall is desperate to be Twilight's partner, and if not for that one-away mission, she would have been assigned to be Twilight's fictional wife for the sake of the mission. That leaves the story to play out the tragedy that is Nightfall's attraction. Twilight is not going to love her. Twilight does not recognize her attraction to him. Twilight sees Nightfall as his student and not a potential lover. Twilight strikes me as someone who is not open to a romance and is only slowly getting into one with Yor that, in simplest terms, is just because it just works for Yor and Twilight. But if we want to actually explain the reasons why the two work, or how Twilight is coming to that realization, we would be in a long shipping wars discussion. And I already have enough of that in trying to cut through discourse regarding Izuku and Chako and Toga and how just none of that is working for me. And that's a discussion for a whole separate time. We're talking about why Nightfall is awesome but flawed, but is probably going to be made more awesome by the end of this arc. I hope. As we get ready to read Chapter 85, we get to see Nightfall's devotion to Twilight, and how that works or doesn't work. She now thinks there is a strong possibility that Twilight is injured or even dead. So what's going to happen next? Do we see that her devotion to Twilight is authentic, whether out of devotion to her mission or even out of her love for him? Or are we going to portray this devotion as shallow and just a fixation? If the latter, how do we avoid reducing that to something that can be simplistic and even sexist, where Nightfall becomes the spurned woman who becomes obsessed with the man who rejected her? The last thing I want is to start having a ton of yandere jokes around Nightfall. I appreciate this manga for laying Nightfall, be a stoic character, have difficulty showing her emotions, have her work require her to perform and put on an act before that act finally collapses into tears, but ones that are covered up because the rain could hide them. Or, I appreciate the moments where Nightfall stops seeming effectless and instead is comedically becoming immature and driving off in tears before doing nature training in the forest to get better at tennis after losing in a match to Yor. Why well, just sit there makes as much sense as what I'm saying if you actually did read the comics or see the anime, so yeah, let's just go past that part. The point is, Nightfall has shown a range of roles for the sake of this story. Drama, tragedy, comedy, action. Now we have to see whether she has the capacity for caring for another person and whether that lets her be more fully realized as a character by actually showing her relationships with other people. Or 
whether she's just going to be a cipher for the sake of Twilight's progression, or whether she is reduced into a Yandere one-note gag to go along with the tiresome and disturbing one-note gag that is Yuri's fixation on his sister. Also, while I am the kind of person who would say ship all the ships within reason, uh, could everyone please stop shipping Yuri and Nightfall? Nightfall doesn't deserve that kind of a punishment. But enough rambling. Let's jump into today's live reaction of Chapter 85 of Spy Family. Spy Family is written and illustrated by Tatsuya Endo, English translation by Casey Lowe, and lettering by Rina Mappa. Spy Family is licensed by Viz. You can read the manga at viz.com. We begin on page one for chapter 85. Someone is clapping the side of the face of who we assume is the real Yuri. Given what the hand looks like, it wouldn't surprise me if it was actually Twilight under that mask. But then again, we already saw Wheeler ripping the Yuri mask off of Twilight, so that wouldn't make sense. Anyway, someone is clapping the side of Yuri's face. The hand and fingers look pretty thin, so I'm wondering who this is. Oh, it turns out that it's Yor. No, it's not Yor, it's Yuri just thinking it was his sister, which, of course, that would be the gag we go with. Yuri's commander already determines that it must have been Twilight who attacked Yuri and asked where he went. Yuri checks the time and says it's probably been 15 minutes. We learn that the woman who approached Yuri a second ago is named Chloe. I already have a bad feeling for Chloe. Please don't make her end up becoming Yuri's new potential love interest. Yuri then wonders why Twilight didn't just kill him, and Yuri can't connect the dots to realize who Twilight really is, which it's played up as a gag here, but realistically, without having more information, not impossible that someone else in Yuri's position also wouldn't figure out who Twilight really is. We cut back to Wheeler having not finished taking the mask off of Twilight. That's because he's lifting Twilight up by the mask to use Twilight as a human shield so that Nightfall can't shoot him. Wheeler repeats his offer. He will give up Twilight, or at least not kill him, if Nightfall surrenders the gun. We get a good moment-to-moment set of panels showing Nightfall struggling with this decision. It's a little goofy in the last panel where she has her arms crossed. At the same time, this is a comic. We are trying to condense an entire emotional reaction to one panel to show her indecisiveness and her desire to just let loose. On the next page, she lets the gun down with a loud clang before stomping her foot on it. I guess this is supposed to be played as a joke. I'm not quite following it, given that Wheeler just says I haven't seen anyone drop a gun like that, but thanks anyway. I think the joke could have worked a little better. Wheeler then starts to read Nightfall and realizes that her concern for Twilight isn't just for the mission, but a personal investment in him. Given Wheeler's monologue now that you can't trust anyone in this line of work, 
and we juxtapose his monologue showing that there are spies looking out for each other. Chloe is pulling Yuri out of the sewer. That looks to be one of the other white spies following Nightfall and Twilight to assist them. We're saying up Wheeler to put up a straw man argument that you can only depend on yourself. And I don't know whether Spy Family will go the route of saying we need collaboration and opportunities to work together to solve problems. That would seem to be the conclusion to this story. We already have Eden Academy where the students who are trying to be glory hounds on their own, like the big strong student during the dodgeball match, get reprimanded for being selfish. We have an entire story built upon how a Cold War is destroying two nations and the lives of its citizens. Where to read Wheeler's argument as one that is empty and not worth considering, but given how this story, I can't see any way for it not to also include Lloyd and Yor eventually turning their backs on their own nations to protect their own family. It's not that the argument of you can't trust other people isn't a straw man, but it is also going to show that at a certain point, Lloyd and Yor aren't going to trust each other, aren't going to trust their countries, then we'll start trusting each other again. We are going to have to overcome Wheeler's straw man argument, and not to keep nitpicking, it's going to get a little tiresome to keep going down this road of Twilight thinking I work alone before finally realizing he's not alone. Wheeler concludes his monologue saying that because he doesn't have to depend on anyone and doesn't have to worry about sacrificing anyone, that's why he will win, whereas Nightfall is too worried about protecting Twilight. On the next page, Nightfall has had enough, and I don't blame her, I'm tired of his monologue too. He refers to all Western spies as emotional, I'm kind of surprised he doesn't do a sexist jibe there as well, we do hear him, in his inner thoughts, refer to her as lady, so not ignoring all of the sexism. This then turns into an issue of Hajime no Ippo, as he thinks she's going to bring out a straight right, before he realizes that she's changing her moves, and he underestimates her attack. It's not clear to me whether she has also injured herself just given the crick and cracks we're hearing coming off of her right arm as she throws the punch. Similar to the crack noise as his arm, Wheeler's arm, looks like it's either going to get bruised or broken and it looks like he got a tooth knocked out from his arm colliding into his mouth. We also get a pop noise near his eye. As her arm continues to snap, crick, and crack like a bowl of Rice Krispies, Wheeler is just getting more and more panicked, and his eye from the artwork is getting more and more sketchy. I do enjoy Endo varying the art quality here to imitate the moment of impact. I like that we get two pages just for the punch. That's a good use of the page layout. And Nightfall gets her your moment, and for those playing at home, yeah, I guess Nightfall wouldn't be able to beat your in a fight, seeing as she just broke her arm, and we can see the twisted remain of that arm. Again, I'll be curious how they're all going to cover this up if your runs into Nightfall at the hospital and says, Fiona, what happened to your arm? 
are they going to be able to trick Jorgen as they were before, where they just said, we have some very violent patients? I do enjoy the artwork here and just how brutal the attack is. Nightfall looking very intimidating, we'll put it that way. Whereas Yor has been drawn like a wild animal ready to bite, Nightfall here is definitely drawn like a horror monster. This is the ring. Like, even with Nightfall having a wig, is just emphasizing one way to read her. Wheeler is panicking, saying he's got to get back up or otherwise she's going to kill him. Nightfall is saying nothing, but her body's making enough noises between ooing noises, cracking sounds, and flopping noises. And the sound effect being literally the word rage. We do have a problem here, which is an explanation about how humans... Once they release their subconscious mental restraints on their strength, can perform superhuman actions. Let's not turn this into My Hero Academia. We don't need to see Izuku wrecking his body again. The narration says that all of Nightfall's fury has turned off every part of her brain that should be concerned about damaging her body. Nightfall then speaks, and I like that as she starts walking, the way one foot is moving, that is supposed to show the equivalent of her stumbling, I guess? It actually conveys to me more as if she's floating. Like, this is now the superhero lifting herself off of the ground and floating over to unleash holy destruction onto her opponents. Nightfall, I'm not sure whether she's projecting here. She starts talking about how Wheeler actually is afraid that he is so insistent on working alone and that's because he can't trust someone and because he can't trust someone, he could die in the field or he could be betrayed that he has a very immature thought process. So we are getting our Nightfall progression and I appreciate that from this arc. It then unfortunately gets reduced to a joke where Nightfall's speech saying that she believes in Twilight just ends with her chanting over and over again, I think of him. She then says it's what makes me strong and that's why she's going to win this. He calls that nonsense. She throws another punch. He dodges. Her arm cracks again. She swings the arm that's flopping as well as her leg and manages to do a kick like Yor. I really miss having the exaggerated tilts of the bodies upon impact. That's another thing the anime has been missing. And again, that's just the reality of animation lets you go from one frame to another to convey an action. It's not necessarily intended for you to pause, and if it did pause, it would get in the way of the movements. Comics can sometimes just be better for showing you a moment of impact. And now I'm realizing Nightfall is turning into Mirko, so... Yeah, um, we're gonna, again, have a long discussion later this year about My Hero Academia. The reason many of us look at the damage that Horikoshi has inflicted upon girls and women in the story and think this is coming across as a bit sexist is because... Yeah, Mirko lost that main limbs, Izuku didn't. Star and Stripes died... Izuku didn't, there comes a point where this really doesn't seem like plot armor alone. This seems like there's another problem here. And yes, we can point out 
twice died. We've had Bakugo, Night Eye, all die, all prominent characters, or at least Bakugo is near death. Not ignoring that, yeah, maybe it isn't sexist, but also the scene's kind of sexist. With this story, we haven't seen this level of physical brutality yet. It being Nightfall doesn't strike me as sexist by having her be the one who's getting damaged, but we'll see how this story goes, especially because we've already seen your deal out enough damage onto Twilight. This seems a little equal opportunity. Now Nightfall is just black eyes as she has dislocated her arm and is just swinging and lands another punch. And that's how we end our chapter. This is one of the few moments where we finally have a chapter that is getting my attention. I don't know how much of it is because, again, appreciating Nightfall's character and wanting to see more complexity. But as just an action chapter and doing it with Nightfall, a character who hasn't had the opportunities to show this level of action, it's appreciated. Chapter 85 was enjoyable, not only for good artwork and having some action, but also teasing out a mystery of what's going to happen next. So, I enjoyed it. But what did you think? I'd like to know your reaction to today's new chapter of Spy Family. Let me know in the comments or email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash derekesmcgrath and patreon.com slash derekesmcgrath are appreciated. Please include a note to let me know what you liked in the live stream and what you would like to hear more of. Your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. You can join other Coffee and Patreon contributors, such as Emily Lauer, Ella Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. And if you like what you heard, or didn't like what you heard, please check out Other People's Awesome Stuff. A blog roll of recommended people to check out is at my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Today, I am again promoting the work of Ian Javier at the website Monsters of New York, including their posts about the good and the bad of the 2003 Ninja Turtles animated series. I have finally shared something, and I'm promoting Ian's writing for my own selfish reasons. For a long time now, I've been working on a recommended watch list of which are the most important episodes of the 2003 Ninja Turtles series. If you're short on time and want to cut corners to just get a complete story and marathon through the series, I finally posted that list at my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. There's a spreadsheet there with different options. If you want just a complete story, just watch seasons 1 to 3, as well as the finale film. If you want to get the in-jokes, I have another list that tosses in episodes from the 1987 animated series. Or if you want the fuller experience, the final list that adds more episodes from seasons 4 to 7 of the 2003 series. You can check out that list at DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Thanks to Ian Javier, whose writing made me enjoy the 2000 series even more. And thanks to comic artist and illustrator Jade at Jade the Stone. That's stone, but with a zero instead of the letter O. At jadethestone.tumblr.com for creating a 1987 Ninja Turtles watch list that was helpful to go through. And I can't do an episode about Spy Family without promoting this artwork. A Nightfall by the illustrator Golden Sun Deer. 
Please check out their artwork at twitter.com slash goldensundeer. Their commission information is on their social media. Please pay them to make artwork for you. And one more thing before we wrap up today, or rather two more things. First, I am again asking you if you live in Ohio and can legally register to vote there, please register and vote no on Ohio issue one in the August 8, 2023 election coming up in order to protect constitutional amendments so that Ohio can't block abortion access by limiting ballot initiatives. Second, I have not discussed the strikes by the writers and actors unions. Whatever the writers and actors want in their union contracts, they deserve it and should get it. These corporations should be obligated to agree to the writers and actors' demands. I think it is already hypocritical for me to talk about the manga I react to each week and their anime adaptations without constantly demanding better pay for the translators, localizers, letterers, subtitlers, and dub actors. So, for the sake of other actors as well as writers, please check out the links on screen and in the description for more information about how you can support writers and actors on strike, whether with monetary contributions, your own strike if you are an influencer or fan, what you can do as a reporter, or how you can be present at picket lines. But please get vaccinated and mask up when going into these crowded areas. We can't afford to keep spreading COVID, people. That's all for this weekend. Next Sunday, Mashal ended its manga run on July 3rd, 2023. Let's do a retrospection, including a reaction to its final chapter. I hope by Sunday night my audio commentary for Boongo Stray Dog Season 5 Episode 2 will be available for free to watch on YouTube, Substack, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next Sunday, stay safe out there, people. Make sure to mask up, get vaccinated, register to vote, campaign against fascism, and learn and practice anti-bigotry. I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker, me, unless otherwise indicated. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this stream. Aside from the names of Patreon and Coffee contributors, other persons, businesses, organizations, or entities mentioned in this episode are not sponsors of this episode. My remarks about those persons, businesses, organizations, and entities are not paid endorsements. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of coffee contributors, Patreon contributors, or any other persons mentioned in this stream. Music today include the tracks titled Los Angeles by Music Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, News Time by Monument underscore Music. These songs are royalty free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.